to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz, I have some news. More news, okay. I like how we start off that way. I'm kind of gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> set you up that way. Um, our democracy has been saved, okay, because Roger Stone is going to jail. We're taking him off the streets. Get him off the streets. <laughs> this horrible threat to our republic is going away. And Judge Amy Berman Jackson, who we can get into her egregious comments today from the bench um she said that roger stone um threatened you know his actions threatened to undermine our democracy and so our democracy shall be saved for the next 40 months well that's good to know um that that's that's where we're focused mm-hmm. on roger stone um 67 year old non-violent first-time offender sounds good <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we are recording this podcast for a listener um, who we just finished up. Judge Jackson just finished up her um, diatribe against Roger Stone and made all kinds of weird political accusations and basically told America how we all should feel about Roger Stone because, you know, that's what federal judges are hired to do. So we can get into that a little bit. But Liz, do you want to give a little background about what Roger Stone was accused of and how we got to this lowly place. Um, I gladly. So Roger Stone is, or was really an associate of Trump's and he was an associate before the campaign. I don't, he didn't have an official campaign capacity. So he's just someone that had worked for Trump in the past and I'm sure they kept in touch, but he didn't have an official title or anything like that. Um, He was convicted on seven counts of obstruction of justice, which happens on an hourly basis from our DOJ employee mm-hmm. uh, betters, if you will. So seven counts of obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and making false statements to Congress. Um, which is again, just the biggest joke of all. Let's just not, say that up front. Not, not a crime that's been prosecuted in the past, but okay. So... Yeah, so that's what he was convicted of. Um, Today was the sentencing. There was a hubbub because the four prosecutors that were involved in this made a sentencing recommendation that Stone be given seven to nine years, which is outrageous. Mm -hmm. And the DOJ kind of overruled them, and they got very pissy and left. So... Then the president tweeted about it, which made it even more controversial because whatever the president does is instantly controversy and also freakish and controversial, you know, controversial and um, that he thought it was unfair. And then, of course, the accusations came that Barr, that Trump was interfering with Attorney General Barr's uh, running of the, the Justice Department and the president was interfering in political prosecutions. So anyway, today was the big day. Mm-hmm. Roger Stone tried to. Um, get his case retried because it turns out that the foreman of the jury is a lawyer who's like a politically active Trump hater. Right. Um, I'm not sure how that slipped through the cracks. And the retrial was denied. And she went on Amy Jackson, Berman, Berman Jackson um, decided and she was going to go forward with the sentencing. And so today was the sentencing and Roger Stone was sentenced to 40 months in prison. 
Um, and let's let's I have the original Roger Stone indictment in front of me. Now, let's remember, too. We all remember how the FBI swooped in under Robert Mueller and raided Roger Stone's house, you know, in the pre-dawn hours. With CNN. 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 Liz, what are you suggesting? I mean, they are just they are gumshoe reporters. They are the so good at their job that they just really yeah. sensed that that Look, was going to happen. I know everybody knows that the jur- journalists are very lazy and the, yeah. the idea that they just worked hard to figure out that there was going to be a raid on Roger Stone's house is just <laughs> ridiculous. And I, I think there's some journalists actually that are trying to FOIA communications between the DOJ and the Mueller team and CNN about this issue. But Believe it or not, the documents are not forthcoming. What? I know. I don't believe you. This. <laughs> yes. Um. So I, I have the indictment in front of me, and it's really important for people to understand. And the judge went out of her way today. I mean, she it was really outrageous when what went down in this courtroom today and the comments that she made. But she basically is saying even though she tried to give credibility to what we now know is the hoax of Russian collusion. And she's basically saying it doesn't matter, you know, that that Robert Mueller's investigation came up empty handed on the charges of collusion. It still doesn't change the facts that Stone misled uh, the House Intelligence Committee. But it's important to note that the opening of the indictment against Roger Stone is predicated on the idea that the Russians hacked the DNC and its very first claim introduction in this indictment um, talks about the security company that was hired to determine that the Russians hacked the DNC. Now, we know who that security company is, right? Yes. This is CrowdStrike. So for those who can consistently say that there's some conspiracy about CrowdStrike, that the president had no right. All of these indictments, the whole Russia collusion hoax starts, relies on this CrowdStrike report, which is sketchy as hell. If you read it, it's like this can't be legit. And the FBI never looked into this on their own. Comey testified in public that they attempted to get the DNC um, servers, the system, uh, whatever name you want to use, and they denied it. So this all relies on it started with the alleged uh, Russian hack of the DNC. I I just want to quickly point out that there was no charges brought against the Clinton Foundation campaign secretary state operation for refusing to turn over their computers to the FBI. I mean, refusing to turn over a computer to the FBI in the course of an investigation is de facto obstruction of justice. It absolutely is. The idea that that was just like, okay, We'll just trust this third party that you have a relationship with to do this report, and we'll just go from there. Good luck trying to do that, regular old American citizen. Well, <laughs> and, FBI comes for you. And who hired CrowdStrike on behalf of the DNC? Perkins Coie, the law firm, who also, you know, they run everything through the law firms, right? So there's attorney-client privilege, and nobody can get information when they need it. This is the same law firm that hired Fusion GPS. For the same reasons. So there's no way to really get communication or subpoenas or anything, I think, to find out exactly what was going down in the spring of 2016. Um, So at any rate, it's important to know that this whole uh, case against Roger Stone started with the idea that 
the Russians hacked the DNC and then Roger Stone was working with Julian Assange to get those emails posted. Originally, it was supposed to be Hillary Clinton's emails, which, of course, we've never seen because she obliterated them. Back to your point, even though they were under subpoena, a congressional subpoena and allegedly being investigated by Jim Comey's FBI, which we know he wasn't, but House Republicans were. So she destroyed evidence, obstructed justice, lied, et cetera. Ten times worse than Roger Stone's democracy ending, you know, actions in front of the House Intelligence Committee. So at any rate, you know, there's a lot to that. The bottom line is this is just another partisan political prosecution. It's egregious. Um, and the judge's comments today just added to people like us, our suspicions and outrage about how unfair uh, the justice system is operating out of our nation's capital. Absolutely. Especially because it's it's just flaunted in our face. It's it's not as if we don't know what's going on in other cases. We've seen for three years um, people that work for the federal government that have sabotaged the president, that have targeted the president. They've repeatedly lied any time that there's been oversight attempted and they there's no consequences for that. I mean, Our people are terrified and quaking in their boots because Sally Yates tells them she's dredged up a 300 year old law that that's ridiculous, like the um, Logan Act, that they're going to get Flynn on the Logan Act. And no one tells her to go F off because it's ridiculous. But, you know, because they will pursue something like that for a Mike Flynn. Now, will they pursue something like that for uh, what's his name? The senator in Connecticut who just went over to hang out with some Iranian thugs yeah. to talk about policy. That's well, that picky. sounds Logan Acty to me. But we're not. That's not going to happen because things like that only apply to one side of the political aisle, and people notice it. And I think I've said I said last week, it's very dangerous when a large chunk of the country doesn't have faith in the institutions anymore. Well, and let's go through, and you're right, and I think Judge Jackson's comments today just confirm all of that. So let's go through for people who, um, for our listener, for <laughs> to talk about some of the really outrageous comments she made today. So she really went out of her way also to discredit the House Intelligence Report into Russian collusion, which, of course, just like the Mueller report, found that there was no evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin to influence the 2016 election. She went out of her way to discredit that several times, claiming that Stone's actions prevented an accurate report coming out of the House Intelligence Committee, which was at the time led by Devin Nunes. Um, She attempted to revive the Russian collusion hoax. She hinted that Trump shouldn't pardon Roger Stone. She brought up the Scooter Libby case, which for some odd reason, don't know why that would be relevant. Um, She covered up for this partisan uh, political jurist that you just mentioned, saying that they were under tremendous pressure and they acted, you know, fairly and impartially. Um, And like and also made some unnecessary personal attacks against Roger Stone, saying something because um, who is the guy credit? Credico, uh, what's his first name? There's so many names floating around. The guy that he allegedly oh, Credico, Randy Credico. Credico, Randy, Randy. I was going to say Roger, because he said he for, forgave Roger that that was just Roger being Roger or whatever. And the judge Jackson said, well, that just proves that he's a better person than you are. Said that to Roger Stone. 
Now, Amy Jackson went on for 40 minutes after she took her brief recess, this long, drawn-out monologue, um, and finally rendered her uh, decision, but not before throwing, oh, and the big one, accused Roger Stone of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. She actually said that. There's nothing in the indictment about that. There's no evidence that well, that was cover any up part what? of it. Right. These people never they right. just talk ominously, but they never have any specifics. What was Roger Stone covering up? And if he was, how does she know it if he obstructed? Like, well, what makes right, no sense? Point. Well, a- exactly. How was he covering up? And then she also said, aside from that, he didn't need to cover anything. Oh, he shouldn't have suggested that Randy Credico should have um Uh, pleaded the fifth because he would have been in friendly company because at the time Congress was run by Republicans. What does that have to do with anything? They were under assault by the Mueller investigation. So it had nothing to do at that point with the House Intelligence Committee. So she's just spewing all of this. Guarantee you she has not read the House Intelligence Committee report. I'm sure she hasn't. Nobody in D.C. has apparently. Nobody (laughs) has in D.C. (laughs) Seriously. hasn't. Well, this is the kind of garbage that is coming from the federal bench. So we've seen the past few weeks, especially just how unfair, imbalanced, partisan activist the judges are, the juries are, um, you know, it's and the difference, of course, in Andy McCabe gets off because they know that no jury in Washington, D.C. is ever going to convict him for that. But yet we have Roger Stone now. Not just going to jail, but everything he and his family have been through based on this really nothing indictment, nothing that Glenn Simpson, the owner of Fusion GPS, didn't do 10 times worse in his testimony and And also pleaded the fifth. We have a parade of people that are very suspicious and none of that was followed up on by our Justice Department. I think that's the biggest misconception or mischaracterization of quote the Trump people it's not that I don't think people should be punished for their crimes it's that I think everybody who should be treated equally so if there are people because when the when the whole investigation started or the claim started back in you know 2016 after Trump won and there was all of this referencing to you know some shifty Russia stuff how how would how would I know? Right. I didn't know if it's true or not. I <clears throat> I wasn't close with the campaign, so I, I didn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I look at it like, well, I hope nothing bad went down. And if it did, it should be treated accordingly. And that was actually what Trump said to Comey. Right. He said, hey, find the people. If something's going on, find the people that are doing things they're not supposed to be doing. Right. But the problem is that it's that's not how it works. Nope. How it works is that our people are beaten down with the with the the fist of the judicial department, the um, Department of Justice, and these other people are just skating on very very serious charges. So it's not that I don't think anyone should be not. I don't think Trump people in the Trump family should not be held accountable. It's that I think everybody should be held accountable, or nobody should be held accountable. 
Exactly. And um, I have a piece up on Am Greatness this week that goes through um, and Andy McCarthy, our friend who writes um, for a publication we won't mention. But at any rate, he's a very <laughs> smart guy. He's a former federal prosecutor. He admitted in his, one of his articles that this is the reason why somebody like Andrew McCabe also keep in mind, we remember how Jim Comey was referred by Michael Horowitz, the inspector general for the Justice Department on three charges criminal mishandling of classified information, which were his memos, the DOJ declined to prosecute him as well because they know you're you're sitting in it. I mean, you live there, so you know, I mean, and the facts are there. This is a this is that's a Trump hating and anyone relate. I mean, hating is a nice word, isn't it? I mean, these people are insane yeah. how much they hate this president. You can just tune into CNN and MSNBC on any night and see just how what just see just what disinterested civil servants we had working for us, <laughs> you know, as they rage against Trump foaming at the mouth. Yeah. I mean, you have Andrew Weissman, uh, who basically led the Mueller investigation. Mueller, we now know, is a figurehead. He had no clue what was going on. His congressional testimony was embarrassing, but also confirmed that he was not in charge of that probe. Andrew Weissman was. Now he's on MSNBC just venting every night his hatred and there's no consequences. I mean, the, this is not fair, impartial, like the 2000 angry prosecutors wrote about Bill Barr. This is not impartial. This is and especially coming from the nation's capital. Um, this is so destructive uh, how this is all going down over the past few years, because you have at least half the country who now yeah. looks at this Justice Department as 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 illegal, unlawful, well, uh, corrupt. lawless, corrupt, right. Yeah. <clears throat> Definitely. So, okay, we should move along to our next topic, which is the dumpster fire that was <laughs> the Democrat debate last night in Las Vegas, baby. So, yeah. Julie, you watched it. I watched it. It's the first debate I watched. And I watched it because I wanted to see what these people were going to do with Bloomberg because you could tell they were very resentful that Bloomberg was getting the the what is it like the white glove treatment in the media. He mm -hmm. was super, you know, extolled. He was propped up. He was they were fawning over him. He was going to be the savior. And so all of the other candidates, there were five other candidates on stage. They were angry because. Honestly, I don't blame them. A presidential right. campaign is brutal. They're out right. there kissing babies, eating corn dogs, going to veterans meetings yep. and sucking up, trying to get those votes. And then in comes Richie Rich throwing his money around with YouTube ads and commercials that are will haunt you wherever you go. You can't escape Bloomberg money. It's infected all the media and then he just gets on stage and he thinks he's going to take it away. So I knew that it I was hoping, okay, I was hoping that the candidates would go at him, right, and not wimp out. Because wouldn't you agree before the debates were a little bit more cordial than they should have been for people who were competing for a very big prize? So anyway, I tuned in. I'm happy to say it was everything I hoped for and more. <laughs> it was great watching television last night. It was pretty, it was pretty insane. I mean, it was so entertaining because you're right. I mean, this has been, they have been very cordial. They totally laid off Joe Biden. 
um, during impeachment. So now that the impeachment drama has gone away and they really rarely mentioned Donald Trump last night, um, which has really been uh, that's all the debates have been about. I've watched every single one because I'm a twisted person. God, but God bless you. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> well, I do. It, I do have help when I watch the debates. So a wine glass or a martini glass but anyway it um so it was astonishing to watch how this flipped to you know your point and there were really two kind of sideshows going on so it was elizabeth warren attacking mike bloomberg yes everybody piled on bloomberg she really nailed him though and he was not prepared um, and then the discord between Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar, yeah. who is a lunatic. All right. Let's face it. She, you know why her head shakes like that? Because she, her insides are like so <laughs> they're like smoking. There's like smoke on the inside. She's so angry. You it's like an in, inner typhoon. Like you can just tell in her head, her hair shaking and her head shaking. And she's trying to like do these breathing exercises. Well, you know you that she tell. has a history of. Right. She has a history of being, let's say, less than cordial to her staff. And she's been reports. I'm just reporting. I'm just saying what are reports that she has right. thrown things. She has had what is described as verbal outbursts, physical objects being thrown, including binders and phones during the outbursts. So, yeah, I mean, this is someone that might have an anger management problem. And so... Yes, I think she was shaking, but Mayor Pete and Amy are competing for that same lane, right? The not crazy Bernie lane, because that's really the factions that are there. You have the I'm a progressive and I'm woke, but I'm not as crazy as Bernie Sanders so that because most people aren't at the Bernie Sanders level, you know, wokeness. And then there's the Bernie Sanders sort of Elizabeth Warren um, more extreme sides of it. But I have to give kudos to Elizabeth Warren. I mean, she yeah. she performed. <laughs> she kicked ass last night. She came out for blood. And it's about time. I mean, these people are, are competing for a very big prize. And before last night, they were just – it was all just very – polite and um friendly and yuck yuck and jokes and you know elizabeth warren just she needed she needed to do some damage to bloomberg and just to remind everybody this is the bloomberg was getting the biden treatment okay so right the media loves to build people up and then tear them down like vultures so biden (laughs) before there was a single vote cast In any election, in any primary or caucus, Biden was heralded as the savior. He was going to come in. He was moderate, gravitas, experienced, grown up, all that, right? The media Mm -hmm. was loving him. Then we have the Iowa caucus, and he just down the toilet. I mean, he had a couple questionable debate appearances as I was bleeding. I mean, just some weird things, freaky things. And he sounded confused, disoriented, whatever, also on the campaign trail. But the media built him up before, without reason, not a single vote had been cast for him in any primary, and they built him up. And then you watch him go down. Same thing with Bloomberg. Bloomberg spends $500 million. That's half a billion dollars so far. He didn't do media appearances. He didn't take questions. He didn't do interviews. And this is the first time he's appeared with his opponents and had to answer questions. 
And boy, did he eat it. But again, the media built him up. He's going to be the one that's not Bernie because they're searching for the not Bernie candidate. And he just did really bad. And the most striking thing about it was that he had to know going in, he had the target on him, right? He had to know they were all gunning for him. Yeah, but Liz, when when you're as arrogant as someone like Mike Bloomberg... You think you have the skills to handle that, right? That's true. Maybe that's true. I just, as somebody who's worked on a lot of campaigns, there's so much preparation that goes into like a public appearance. A, a public well, appearance how many fight. consultants does he have? Yeah. I mean, it, he has how many has he hired? He's hired all. He's like I a have Jeb all Bush level consultant. Remember Jeb? <laughs> he hired, Jeb hired every single consultant almost so that nobody could work for any of his opponents right when he started to get in the campaign. So Thanks, Bloomberg Mike. has a lot of consultants. And I don't know why any of them said, well, maybe they just ignored it. You know, you're going to they're coming for you and you better have answers to questions or, you know, zingers like you voted for George W. Bush. I mean, that you have to have an answer. And he didn't. I mean, he was like, oh, yeah, those NDAs. Someone just didn't (laughs) like my joke. And it's like wrong crowd, Mike, wrong crowd. Okay, that okay, and and here's another thing: who knew about these NDAs besides Elizabeth Warren? I checked the New York Times site today. Who the New York Times probably has a good three thousand articles about yeah. Trump's uh, NDA with Stormy Daniels. Yeah. There was no, there's no article. Now you're telling me that the flagship newspaper in the city where Mike Bloomberg lives that he used to run. They never heard anything about all of these NDAs. And it's not it doesn't sound like a few. I mean, she was really pressing. And you could tell by the look on his face. There are a lot of these NDAs, men and women, it sounds like. Well, Um, if if you feel comfortable enough in your position to call someone a horse face lesbian in the workplace or wherever he did say that, then you probably do have a lot of NDAs. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure, Julie, that the New York Times has at least 100 of their top reporters right now hunting down all of the people involved with the Bloomberg NDAs are probably outside the house right now. They are knocking on the door, trying to get the inside (laughs) scoop. And also another thing we learned that um, the New York Times didn't care about is the taxes. Yep. (laughs) Well, that's what, you know, the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN people, they are spread out between the Treasury Department and all of the NDA uh, holders of, you know, they're just, they're probably so taxed, like trying to dig in and get this information. I'm really looking forward to their solid reporting on it. To be honest, they had an eight year rest where they basically slept for eight years and didn't (laughs) do anything other than what Ben Rhodes faxed over to them or emailed. So (laughs) they are rested. And so, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing, you know, they're busy whipping themselves into hysteria every hour about some Trump indiscretion. I say that with air quotes, Um, but yeah, obviously we are being facetious. Yeah, we're totally joking. There's not going to do anything on this, but we will see. I'll be interested to see if the media tries to whatever. What's it called? Put lipstick on a on the Bloomberg pig. Right. And see if they're going to just pretend that it wasn't as bad as we thought it was. Although the pundits really did pan him. But we'll see if we're not going to get a week long think of think pieces from The New York Times 
from CNN about how bad Bloomberg's debate was. I don't think that's going to happen. But we'll see if they just move right along like nothing happened. The interesting thing is that Bloomberg is not on the Nevada ballot. So we're not going to see what happened, you know, if there's an effect um, in Nevada polling because they don't poll for him. and He's not on the ballot. But what might happen is Elizabeth Warren, who I think did pretty well. I think Bernie did well. And that's all Bernie needed to do. Mm -hmm. Biden did barely. Who was he he even there? Yeah, exactly. But I think Elizabeth Warren might get a bump, Um, you know, well, and here's low. Here's why, though. I mean, what is the number one, if you're a Democratic voter, the number one quality you want in a candidate is who can take on Trump, right? So she showed last night. Yeah. She's not afraid. And I mean, she was standing next to Bloomberg. She looked right at him. She questioned him directly several times. So you could see her doing that to Trump. Of course, Trump will be ready for her and just say, OK, Pocahontas, whatever. Yeah. But, he, you know, he obviously <laughs> he's got it. Um, there was also before you move on, a, there's another interesting narrative bubbling up, and that is the Bernie bros. And this is coming from both the left and the right um, and how really vile some of his core supporters are, how violent they are, um, how demeaning, misogynistic, sexist a lot of them are. This kind of started this week. I noticed maybe it was happening before. Um, Megan McCain on The View, which I don't watch, but it was a snap that came up on Twitter, um, kind of pressed AOC about the Bernie bros and how, you know, she can defend those supporters that also came up again last night on the debate stage. So it'll be interesting to see, because, of course, as supporters of Donald Trump, we are tagged with every name imaginable. Right. And we are causing wreaking all this havoc in the country because we support Trump. So it'll be interesting to see how this if this takes off at all. And they call out, you know, you you saw this at a rally last week with Sanders. They're like beating each other up and then there's like strippers on one of the stage like these women get up and they like had their tops off or something they're protesting dairy subsidies like it was i'm fine with it no i i'm (laughs) i'm fine with it i think that the best one of the best things about trump is that he has completely driven the left off the cliff Mm -hmm. and the you know i don't I don't support violence in in any way, shape, or form. But I don't think anything's yep. going to happen with the Bernie Bros. I don't think they're going to change their behavior because the left doesn't really have a problem with it either. They only have a problem with it when other people do it, and then it becomes a moral issue. But I mean, if we had people in red MAGA hats going to Bernie rallies or going to Amy rallies and just beating people up. They would be freaking out. But if the converse is true, and that actually is what happened during the 2016 campaign, you never heard about Trump people going to a Hillary Clinton rally. She hardly held any. But when she did, (laughs) you know, they they weren't going out there to beat people up. What we did see is undercover video people saying, yeah, we're bird dogging. We're setting, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to provoke them to violence. They go to the Trump rally and try and start something there. And so the left really doesn't doesn't dislike violence. If it's, oh, God, no. You know, 
in the no, service ju- of they something see it as justified. Right. Exactly. Right. So, right. I mean, look, what did you think was going to happen if you wear the red MAGA hat, Julie? Obviously, you're going to get beat up, right? That's their attitude. Or not even a MAGA hat. You Maybe it's a hat that's red and it looks like it could say MAGA, but it doesn't. Like that poor guy in Florida who got beat up for the, for making that mistake. So I don't really see – I know it's it's a controversy and I saw AOC get asked about it. But the, again, that's not the media isn't going to focus on that because just like they don't talk talk about Antifa, right? They don't talk about Antifa violence either. They just gloss over it. Even though when the Jesse Smollett hoax started, before it started to get sound right. very suspicious, they were, I mean, they had theme music set up for the segments, right? They created their own theme music and graphics because it was so awful. Then all of a sudden, it sounded fishy, and we just moved on very quickly. So I just, I don't see anything. Resulting. No, I I don't think anything will result. I just think it's an interesting kind of backstory. Um, another way to kind of discredit Bernie because, of course, he's the leading candidate. And I'm all for violence. I don't care. Like, go ahead. <laughs> we here at no, the happy okay. hour. We are about political <laughs> violence. Um, I'm gonna wear my MAGA hat to the sad little principled conservative conference on oh, February 29th. You should you should do you should. It's too bad you can only wear one. Maybe you should wear a Trump shirt too or something. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna well, I'm gonna wear an eBay shirt in honor of their oh, of never Trump or funder, Pierre Omidyar. Do you ever shop on eBay? Have you ever shopped on no, eBay at all? Never. Never. I I have a, a little bit, but not much. But now I I don't know, I just feel like other things have taken over that space anyway. But um like Neiman and now I and now he's funding um the anti Trump movement. So that's always something to keep in mind. Uh, when making your consumer making consumer decisions. So, okay, well, let's move on to our next topic. We're trying to move, keep it moving smoothly here. Our next topic is moving the agencies out of Washington, D.C. and also moving jury pool, like getting different jury pools mm-hmm. uh, for federal cases that are tried here for for the specific reason that it is Washington, D.C., and there's a benefit to doing that. So I know Julie has written a piece at American Greatness that talks about this. So why don't you talk about your piece, Julie? So it's interesting. One of uh, the one of the other reasons the left and never Trumpers are so outraged. Well, really, the establishment. Um, what would you call them? Justice Department alum, the people who wrote the letter demanding that Barr uh, step down. Um, they're also very upset that Barr has the nerve to assign some of these cases and reviews of cases to prosecutors outside of the Beltway. Um, And in one Politico article, it's described as far flung offices in the country, which would be Pittsburgh, Chicago, (laughs) Connecticut. Like, you know, they act like this is like Timbuktu, but these are U.S. attorneys who operate in districts outside of the Beltway. So um, Barr has assigned a few of, as we know, um, the U.S. attorney from Connecticut, John Hoover, was appointed about a year ago. Um, to look at the origins of the counterintelligence probe into the Trump campaign. Also, what happened between Election Day and Inauguration Day of 2016, 2017, which was really a period where there were a lot of shady things going on, right? So John Huber is looking at that. Um, He's apparently assigned to the Mike Flynn, the review of the Mike Flynn prosecution, 
has been tasked to a U.S. attorney, I believe, out of St. Louis. Um, he's also taking, taken the information from Rudy Giuliani and his documentation about political corruption in Ukraine, possibly tied to U.S. political interests here. Um, I believe he assigned that to a prosecutor in Pittsburgh. I'm trying to keep up with all of that. So at any rate, the idea is he's spreading around the love. He is rerouting very smartly, rerouting this. Hopefully, you know, we 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 both are big fans of Bill Barr. I trust him. I think he's a man of integrity and sincerity, sincerity. Hopefully these are being kind of outsourced out of the beltway um, to avoid political interference, not to have them just be buried for the next six or seven months. So you know, we're giving him the benefit of the doubt there. But um, this is an idea. And after I posted this piece and actually tweeted about it last week in the Stone case, for example, or Flynn case, why they didn't ask for a change of venue, why their attorneys. Now, of course, the judge would probably deny it anyway. But why there's no request to move if you are charged, if you're the defendant and you're Trump allied defendant, why aren't you asking for a change of venue to get out of D.C.? Virginia, Maryland, wherever. I I, I don't well, know. Virginia I'm not a lawyer. Maryland, same. You don't you don't want to go to either one of those. No, places. out of them. Right. Yeah. You want to go to like Oklahoma West Virginia or, Kansas or, something. or something. So I I don't know why they haven't asked. Now I I've done a little research. It does look like the prosecution. So it could be the DOJ, um, which would be weird. But if you're charging them, they could also. Ask. So I I don't know why these cases are being tried in a city that 90% of whom elected Hillary Clinton, it's the federal government's largest employer in Washington, D.C. Everybody else is tied to the government one way or the other, if you're a lobbyist, consultant, journalist, whatever, um, why they would allow this. So I guess that's kind of the point of what Barr is doing, and it takes away control of the the deep staters, or as you call them, derp staters, mm-hmm. embedded in these agencies here there in dc the jury can rest control well the jury pool i mean you know i posted in this piece this fascinating article about the uh, jury selection for greg craig um who was an attorney for obama uh, and for uh, bill clinton you i mean everyone pretty much who's political has heard of greg craig he got caught up in the Mueller probe i think it was kind of a like throwaway prosecution, like, well, we better throw a bone over to this side, right? So they charge him with making false, false statements too. The jury pool, they can't even find a fair jury pool because every or jury because everyone in one way or the other is tied to politics. So the judge in the case is approving obviously conflicted jurors. Um, the prosecution and defense that you know you can only reject so many jurors. So they have this biased jury. Greg Craig is acquitted in four hours, right? The same kind of charge that ensnared, you know, Mike Flynn and Roger Stone, George Papadopoulos. He's acquitted in four hours. A jury comes out, talks to the reporters after Craig's trial and says, I'm outraged that Robert Mueller even wasted his time with this because our republic is in danger because of Trump. This is a juror who says this. So there's no way for anyone in Trump world any Republican to get a fair trial in Washington, D.C. And so that is that's a threat, right? I mean, you talk about threat to democracy. That's a that's a threat. Well, I agree with you. 
I just I'm not sure why the defense or somebody doesn't make a motion to move the venue in these cases. Um, and that's up to uh, I believe at least the def- the uh, the prosecution isn't going to do it, but the defense attorney should move. I mean, I'm not I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't really know what the restrictions are, but it certainly is important to getting justice that the people on trial are given a fair a fair jury, not like this Roger Stone juror who is not just a juror. She was the jury foreman um, and that 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 we see a fair. A, a fair trial and they're just not getting it. I just don't understand why the defense doesn't bring it up. Maybe somebody who's a lawyer who listens to this can tweet at me and Julie and just say, Oh, they can't do it. It has to be, maybe there's some rules that we just don't know about, but it certainly is not justice to have this being done, especially because everybody in DC either works for the government or is like married to someone who works for the government or has a kid that works for the government there's, you know, right. They're all part of the institutional state. So it's very dangerous. Um, and ba- again, the more people see that we have a very selective justice in this country, the, the more severe the consequences of that are going to be when people have just had enough. So I'm, right. I'm trying to warn you. <laughs> Well, and I think that this is why our side is getting uh, is losing a little bit of faith in this Justice Department yeah. and the Hoover investigation and um, not who uh, I'm sorry, Durham. Close. I think I said Hoover before too. <laughs> Durham. I'm sorry. I've got too many names. I meant John Durham, excuse me, out of Connecticut. I hope I think I said that wrong earlier too. But at any rate, um, losing faith in any fair outcome or anyone. I mean. Glenn Simpson did far worse than what Roger Stone did. Charles Grassley sent a letter to the Department of Justice asking, you know, saying that he lied to Congress in his testimony about not having any Trump anti-Trump clients after the election. He did. I mean, now the guy admits it in his book. It's like and he hasn't been charged. So anyway, we're still waiting and it doesn't look good. I'm not optimistic. I think one of the issues with Barr is that he is kind of a straight shooter. And so he just wants the Justice Department to be fair. And it's kind of like, well, wait, there's kind of a debt that's owed before you decide to moderate and be fair. You know, there's a lot of loose threads of congressional referrals, Senate referrals, just blatant, blatantly obvious, like middle fingers to the law and things that are unfair. And they just are completely brushed over and and honestly they're rewarded i mean the the worst characters are held up as experts in the media they're probably still leaking they have cohorts in the government that still work and then of course there's these organizations that they're tied to that have these lofty sounding names that write letters about how <laughs> awful the president is the judges mm-hmm. had a meeting earlier this week because it was just so terrible that Trump was tweeting about justice. And, um, you know, then there was whatever, 1 million former DOJ employees signed a letter, uh, you know, (laughs) and, and uh, that brings me to a a rant that Julie, I think I gave a little bit to earlier in the week about how pathetic the right wing has been about credentialing institutions. And those are, organizations that are set up 
with the appearance of legitimacy and objectivity, but in fact are advocacy groups. And whenever you see, uh, we're reading an article about a topic that is kind of political or has a political consequence, there will be a reference to some organization that sounds lofty, like the Society for the Study of Justice and Freedom. Mm -hmm. And they'll quote so-and-so, who was an Oxford fellow, Mm -hmm. um, talking about this. It's inherently political. But in fact, it's if you don't know any better, you would just think, oh, yeah, this guy, he's a scientist. He's he's talking about science. He's He's an expert. These are all lefty organizations. I call them credentialing institutions. Um, almost every single one that you know of or name that you've heard or read is, in fact, an advocacy group masquerading as a legitimate outlet for information. And so those le- that letter with what I don't know what it's up to, because every day they keep making the number bigger, 2000 for right. DOJ employees, whatever group they're associated with. It's not it's not true. It's not objective. It's like the Southern Poverty Law Center who still gets treated like they're you know they're just making they're just doing studies julie there's you know it's Mm -hmm. just science and it's just social science it's not advocacy and the right has none of they have none of it right and whenever there's some group like let's say heritage is i guess you could say that's kind of a think tank the media always qualifies it with like the Mm right-leaning trump the right-leaning or trump-friendly heritage or the Federalist Society, which isn't, a, you know, it's not a society about studying the Constitution and advocating for a Constitution-based judiciary. It's the far-right Federalist Society. Um, that's that, right. That's the that's a Trump loyalist. Like yes. we're hearing about but, Richard Grinnell, a yeah, loyalist. We yeah. don't have any. The right has just been terrible. We don't have any organizations. Meanwhile, every organization in D.C is every almost every C4 uh nonprofit C4 mm-hmm. every think tank that is just pretending to be as austere and serious they're they're left leaning and it's same with organizations that were once objective they've been taken over so for example the American Medical Association which mm-hmm. people are like oh yeah it's doctors doctors are saying that it's you know <laughs> about this is wrong this is bad the experts tell us yeah right. the thing is that most doctors aren't members of the ama and the ama is again a bunch of political advocates so it's very frustrating and it's hard to keep up but people who are who read the media um and i'm sure people who listen to our show may be hip to this but there's a lot of people who don't and I say well scientists say that the earth is going to melt in six years mm-hmm. that, and you know we keep hearing this over oh, oh they're scientists well yeah not really so that just that just annoys me and of course things like that are used against Trump right now where you know you had the letter now you had the judges society or whatever mm-hmm. that was the judges had an emergency meeting Julie emergency mm-hmm. it's an emergency and- and they had an emergency meeting, not about a secret court, right? Judges yeah. appointed by the Chief Justice of the United States and a FISA court, a secret court um, that signed off on spying on a private U.S. citizen for a year. They weren't outraged about that, right? They weren't outraged about the DOJ and FBI lying to that court and using known political dirt from a foreign operative working yeah. for the DNC. They weren't worried about that, but no, they were worried about 
you know, what Bill Barr came talked down this ridiculous sentencing, which the judge today obviously agreed with Barr and not the original corrupt prosecutors who quit the Stone case. But like you said, too, this letter came from Protect Democracy, which is funded by the Democracy Fund, which has a satellite sister organization called the Democracy Fund Voice, who funds a lot of Never Trump organizations. They also fund something called Stand Up Republic, which is headed by Evan McMullen. And I mean, this I'm yeah. not lying. I mean, you know, this, this is no, like, it's like an octopus. This is what, it's right. hilarious. It's like, it's right. An octopus with all these arms. But the thing is, look at their names. Right. If you imagine if you're not a politically active person and you're just reading and you're like, oh, this is serious. The, the democracy right. group has is opposing it. Well, because they never they call themselves democracy. like, you know, <laughs> they never call themselves like the rabbit anti-Trump group or whatever. They're it's a democracy group and the democracy group, you know, fu- uh, charity. And yeah, it's it's and they're well, all related. Yeah. And, and the journalists, of course, the New York Times, who broke the story about the letter. So the reporter portrays Protect Democracy as a legal nonprofit. Well, it's a. It's a nonprofit that was formed in 2017 by Piero Midiar, who is the eBay founder who funds all the Never Trumpers. So he started all these organizations. He's committing $100 million to various outlets that, to attack Trump. So he forms this. You go look at the who is running it. It's run by Obama, uh, hold, uh, Obama loyalists, former uh, Hill staffers for Democratic congressmen and senators. That's who's running it. But. Of course, the New York Times. No one is going to report that, right? They're Wait, never going to. I thought they wanted protect- to protect democracy, Julie. That's their name, right? Protect democracy. <laughs> no, <laughs> love democracy. So we have to agree. Yeah, it's such a racket. But you know, people who have real jobs and don't do what we do all day, um, you know, they they're not they don't they don't have to pay it. They can't pay attention to that. They can't well, follow. Well, that's the problem, right? I mean, whoever. Whoever conceived that we would have this massive web um, structure um, sort of shadow governing our country and shadow influencing politics and media the way that we do. Uh, I, I no regular person who has a life and wants to have a life where they have hobbies and they go to potlucks with their family and they go to sporting events and, you know, they come home from work and they watch TV and, and, and have family time. No, I mean, it's a full-time job to just keep track of all of this stuff. It is. And I mean, I think that it would be shocking to people, but you have, um, you know, whenever I write something about Omidyar's funding, I mean, Anybody who's interested in this, just go to Democracy Fund, that website, and you will see um, what they are up to. And this and, and we can't compete with that money. To your point, even if we tried, we can't compete with Omidyar and Soros and Steyer and Bloomberg and all these people who've dumped, you know, billions into left wing causes and are attacking Trump. Astonishingly, though, who's still there? I mean, in a way, you kind of have to laugh because Omidyar is wasting all of this money. Right. He's going to spend one hundred million dollars to go after Trump, at least that he's admitted to. Right. We don't know what else he's up to. Um, but the guy's still standing. Right. He's he's still the president. His approval ratings are going up. Uh, the Republican Party's approval ratings are going up. So they're in a way, I guess you kind of 
just have to be amused by it all. Um, well, it certainly help expose. Um, again, the, the the best thing that happened of from Trump's election is that a lot of these people just drove off the mental health cliff, right? <laughs> they went absolutely bananas to spend right. all this money. And I, I think there's a tremendous amount of hubris for someone not to wonder what the consequences of such an overt and aggressive action against a president is. Nobody's really thought that through. You know, if they got rid of Trump, let's say they Trump, they, they these are fake charges. Let's say he did get impeached and removed by the Senate. What would happen next? What do they think would happen to all of the people who, who right. voted for Trump? Do they think that they'll just be like, oh, OK, and, and move along and become little sheep that are, uh, you know, pliable? No one's thinking what the consequences are. In fact, because no one was thinking about the consequences of a bunch of elitists that were owned by special corporate interests for so long and warmongers that we would get someone like Trump. You know, they still don't understand Trump is in and of himself a consequence of a similar behavior. And the response is, well, let's just do more of it. You know, maybe we just need to be more in your face. So, again, like Bloomberg. What what is the point? Five hundred million dollars this guy has spent and he's been campaigning for 10 weeks. That is bananas. Right. Well, and I think that that's where you see this fear on the left and the right about how powerful these money interests are to persuade, um, you know, to to convince either the public of X, Y, Z, buy off congressmen or whatever. That's fine. That's been going on forever. Um, But you look at the Fusion GPS operation. Who knew that that was going on? I certainly didn't. You know, you would know that. You don't think that there are people who are that sketchy, who are that corrupt, who are such whores, right? Who will take whatever, who will meet with, you know, this a British agent and make up this dossier, take it to the FBI, take it to the State Department uh, and plant this meet with journalists, you know, starting in July of 2016 to cover up for the DNC's imploding convention. So this was a pivot away from who would have thought that that was going on? You know, you You know, you don't. Yeah. It's pretty it's it's pretty serious. At least yeah. you want to think that you can't take everyone's political bias entirely out of them. Everybody has, uh, you know, different political sure. tendencies. But you would like to think that, you know, these are professionals. And I know if someone hands me a document and says, I have these secret documents or I have this information for you, I'm going to vet it. And if they burn me, I'm not going to want to run something that might be not true because I don't want to look bad or. I wouldn't let one of my writers do something like that because I don't want American greatness to look bad. So, but that's all out the window. And, and again, like back to this Trump consequence, right? Is these people are just naked partisans. Now they're not journalists. They're not professionals. They're so biased that they get a copy of this dossier and nobody says this sounds kind of crazy. It doesn't even, and, and seasoned national security reporters who have seen actual legitimate things didn't say, well, this doesn't sound like a piece of intelligence. This sounds like a lot of crap. Nobody said that because they desperately wanted, you know, the clicks. 
And all these and all these people, the reporters especially, they know Glenn Simpson, right? He used to be a reporter for The Wall Street Journal. They know his gig, right? They're all friends. So like even in his book, he says, I called up my old buddy, Tom Hamburger from The Washington Post. and I met with him in Philadelphia to get, you know, feed him this information from the dossier. Plus, Christopher Steele has longtime relationships with people deep in our government. I mean, Jonathan Weiner. Is it Weiner? I'm going to call him Weiner. I don't even care. Okay. (laughs) Jonathan Weiner. There's emails dating back to 2014. Hey, my good friend, Chris Steele, has this information about Ukraine. I'm going to pass this along. So everybody knew Simpson's deal. Everybody knew Christopher Steele's gig. Everybody, David Kramer, who worked for John McCain, friends with Glenn Simpson for over a decade. Like these people knew exactly what was going down. But they lied, right? Oh, this former MI6 agent, well, you know, he's on Western the- intelligence source, right? Yes. Isn't that how they said it? Yeah. When they knew, they they knew where he was coming from. So at any rate. Um, well, they but- knew he was a mercenary at the very least. And when you're dealing with people who are mercenaries, you, you do, it's not that what they say isn't true. It's that you do have to kind of assess, like, what the motivation is. And if you're willing, as a journalist or... Um, someone in the media to, you know, assist basically right. someone's project. So, you know, that again, this is the consequence of Trump is that these people are just naked. They've been revealed to be just completely naked partisans and not really professionals. No, I mean, they're all part of the same racket and just corrupt and deceivious people. And they're willing to trash any institution. They're willing to ruin anyone's reputation, their personal professional lives um, to to hold on to power. I mean, that's really what it, it boils down to. Um, so anyway. All right. Well, that's our that's our podcast for rant. That's our we're rant. thinking about maybe doing more than once a week, but we're we're working on it because we're still getting our feet wet. Is that the yeah, the, I guess that's the saying that we're getting our feet wet. Yeah. Um, on this podcast thing, but hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll be back next week. Right, Julie? I believe so. Yeah. You'll be back. <laughs> can't yes. stay away. I can't. You're right. Okay. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next week. We'll be at CPAC. So we, we have will. to figure out how to do that because we'll be at CPAC. Wow. All right, guys. Have a good week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to happy hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.